everybody wants to be a part of the culture until it's time to be diverse, equitable, and inclusive. So we're having the uncomfortable conversations needed to spark the change right here, right now. We're your hosts, Kai Devereaux Lawson. And I'm Simeon Coker. And we say all the things you wouldn't. Welcome back to the Mixed Company Podcast. Okay, Simeon, Simeon. Mixed Company episode. We are back for another one. Shout out to everybody that's been asking when this next episode was coming out. It's here, y'all. It's here. Big if off. you know, you know. <laughs> on for a minute now, back with the uh, heat. <laughs> I don't think that we've been gone that long. Listen, listen, y'all. I've been telling all y'all that uh, where we have an editorial format right now. We yeah, I like your rationale for it. It's when we drop when we have something good to say, um, because we don't want to be another podcast um, on Instagram saying wild, crazy things because they have Amazon likes. Amazon likes. Mics. Oh yeah, remember that that was a big deal for you. Is getting Amazon mics? <laughs> it was. It we used was. to really argue about that. That I'm glad that we've evolved, my friend. I didn't. I didn't like those mics at all. I didn't. It's, it was the aesthetic. It was the aesthetic. <laughs> anyway, we're back for another episode. So much has actually happened um, since August. The first week of August was the last time we recorded. Um, uh, special thank you to the Advertising Club of New York. Um, special thank you to uh, Dr. Charlene Thomas uh, over at Def Jam. Um, a special shout out over there to Chaucer from uh, United Masters and um, Translation. I'm like trying to read your lips while I talk to me. United Masters and Translation, um, just holding it down. And also completely, literally bringing back like his whole clip about you can't do it and you can't do it you can't do a end zone dance without hip-hop and then the whole viral video of the man trying to convince whoever the hell was holding the camera that the dance was a young this is the young jock dance (laughs) this is the soldier boy dance and like you have to understand hip-hop to know the difference shout out to chaucer for pointing that out um but we are back in October, we did take a bit of a break um, because life just continued to life. 2023 has, I would say, humbled me, but it's not a humble because I know all of these things can happen. Like it's been a year of loss for me. Like I'll just go on record and say that, you know, back at the end of last year into this year, I lost a good friend of mine to gun violence, Um, I, uh, from childhood, I had my miscarriage, which I think I mentioned a couple times on the show, uh, back in May, um, in July, I lost my brother, um, to, to a blood clot that, um, you know, just kind of, kind of took him out and talked a little bit about that. Um, and (laughs) as if life just couldn't continue to life, it did. And then I was like, oh, I was a part of the, 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 the September, I guess, round of layoffs at Dentsu. And so special shout out to Dentsu. Um, I want to go on record and say that I had a wonderful two years at Dentsu, the two, um, two and a half years, but I had a really good time there. I enjoyed every ounce of the work that I did there. 
I think I, I really also think I did great work there. I did really good work there as well. Um, I appreciate everybody that I met my entire time there. And I appreciate the people that I learned from for better and for worse um, while I was there. And so much to discuss because on this side, who was it? I think we, I think I was talking to, to Ronnie. Shout out to Ronnie Dick Dickerson um, and the, the Oh Hey Coach um, who pointed out the, you know, something that I think is is helpful in all of this situation is that when we started the podcast, we were on the complete outside of this conversation, looking in and talking about it and managed. Then I managed to be on the inside of the conversation, you know, having an amazing time working with Judy Jackson over at WPP and then over to Dentsu Creative, starting off with John Dupuis. Shout out to John for all of his support and mentorship. Um, and then, you know, now I'm back on the outside. So I've seen all three sides of it. And so we've seen things. Are you on the outside? I mean, I'm not outside the velvet rope. Okay. I'm still okay. on the inside of the velvet. I stepped outside because it's hot inside. That's what it is. You know, when you go to the club, it's like you're on That's you're on the outside of the line and you can't get in. And then you'll into the club and then the club gets hot. And so you're outside. I am standing between I'm I I just looked at the bouncer and said, I'm gonna be right back. That's Good. what I Okay, I, I'm receiving this because you could definitely get in the club. <laughs> in the club, so you know, much has been learned. Much, much has been learned. Much has learned me, if you will, and that's why we wasn't recording in September. It's a good reason. That's a good reason. Happy belated birthday, my friend. How was your weekend? Uh, I had a birthday party. That was wild. Uh, I had a wild birthday party, and it was. So <laughs> Uh, I, I finally uh, used the square footage in my house for for good. It was, I understood why I pay a mortgage now. It felt good. Yes, yes. Shout out to mortgage payers the, from the sad homeowners clubs and everyone exactly. in the Northeast that's dealing with the water cleanup. We are not all right. <laughs> we are not. $6,000, not all right. We are not all right. Yes. Anyway. Well, let's go ahead and kick off with some dope shit and some ain't shit. And there's a lot going on. It has... Not only was it a wild weekend for you and your birthday friend, but the world was worlding out there. Let's start with CultureCon. CultureCon is in its, what year is this? Is this the oh, I feel like it's probably the sixth or seventh. Okay, it's been quite a few years, but actually, no, it is the sixth or seventh because we went to the first CultureCon um uh, uh covening if you will or convening if you will um and they've come a long way from that samsung that one room in the samsung office to now they are doing it big time over uh down in downtown brooklyn um i am i i am nothing but just proud to see how the the culture collective has um and imani ellis have have grown over the years um you know, I mean, they've always had celebrity. I think Spike Spike Lee was at the first one, but to grow from just one headliner to to numerous headliners and being the talk of the town in both New York and Los Angeles is fucking fantastic, fucking phenomenal. Um, as a brand, if you're not there, you need to get there. Um, but also as a brand, if you are there, you need to also come correct. <laughs> <laughs> that was a great transition. <laughs> We're here for us. We're here for transitions. Because it's not in all the way ain't shit. Like, culture content itself mm -hmm. is dope shit. It is, it is. 
put your Absolutely. put your DEI money there if you really are trying to find creatives. And their growth is a testament to, you know, what the people of the culture have been saying for forever, like nothing moves without us, right? And so seeing their growth is a testament to brands and sponsors believing that, listen, this is where the tastemakers and the, yeah, no, let's leave it at that, the take where the tastemakers reside. And so, yeah, their growth is definitely a reflection of that influence. Right. And I think it's, Really unfortunate. I don't know if I don't know if it's a full on ain't shit. I think somebody ain't shit. I don't think it's a full on ain't shit. Um, you know, if you haven't uh, seen the shade room, if you haven't looked at TMZ, if you haven't been on the interwebs, right, you may have missed that there uh, was an American Express uh, executive who mispronounced the name of the illustrious Issa Ray, known for known most favorably and most uh, wide, uh widely for her work with Insecure and Awkward Black Girl, and now her own agency as she is a part of the advertising industry as well. Um, the executive pronounced Issa's name as Issa. And if you've learned nothing else being a listener of this podcast, and even if this is the first episode you've ever heard, Black people don't like when their names are mispronounced. Like, <laughs> if you can say, you know, if you can say... I was trying to say the name. Yeah, Tchaikovsky. If you can say all of these names and all of these things, then perhaps Issa with the with the hard eye. <laughs> Issa with the hard eye is is probably where we need to to start. And the audience let her know it. Uh the interwebs let her know it. I was there. I was in the audience. Simeon was there. Simeon, were you in the crowd? Were you were you also I was in the crowd. I, I also screamed out Issa. Because it is it's Issa. Like, how do you not know Issa Ray? I think, you know, what was also what was also embarrassing. So I think that was a really embarrassing moment is is Issa Ray is actually a partner with American Express. They've done a lot of content recently. She's been um a part of a few of their campaigns. And so I think that disconnect really unveiled a lot that that all brands, that all corporations in general need to need to do a better job. And I want to give a shout out to um, our homeboy Marcus over there who leads um, a multicultural uh, and one of the units over at American Express. I know Marcus. Um, I know Marcus did his job because I know him. Mm-hmm. That man does not leave the house without dotting an eye, crossing a T and spraying the most amazing cologne on. Like he's, the presentation is always there. Um, I would love to know, and I'm sure we won't get to know because folks got also have other bills to pay, but I would love to know who else on his team may have taken it maybe just as, or maybe less uh, uh, serious about how important it was to come correctly to an event like this. Um, and so, you know, I, yeah. what I hope that they don't do is put this on Marcus because yeah. at the end of the day, American Express has a lot of people that work with them. Their communications team, um, as a whole, uh, is, is, is also very picky and selective about the things that they're involved in. And if the woman that presented or mispronounced Issa's name was not briefed properly, then I would say shame on the team that was supposed to brief her. Yeah, I mean, I would doubt that uh, whoever briefed her was on Marcus's team because um, I feel like there was also like a 
an age generation gap there. Uh, she yeah. was a significant age, but I doubt that anybody who was on Marcus's team um, mispronounced her name uh, because that Issa is our culture, right? Like, if and you Marcus is of the culture. Mm -hmm. 10 years, grew up in the last 10 years. Yeah, we grew up in the last 10 years. Um, if you grew up in the last 10 years, then you let's become an adult. Like, you know what, how Issa's name is pronounced. So, you know, tough sucks for her. But it I'm does suck for her. Word to the wise, what I do all the time, because baby, let me tell you what won't be. Me is the one that mispronounces your name on the stage. Okay. So I YouTube everybody before I moderate anything because I'm I want to hear how you said it. I'm not gonna take how somebody else said it because somebody else could say it wrong, but I'm YouTubing your name. Um, and I'm also asking before we get on stage, I I'm actually going to ask you before I ask you your first question. Can mm -hmm. you just confirm for me the right way to pronounce it? Because baby, you're not going, mm -mm. the way my ancestry, my ancestry is set up, we don't mispronounce names over here. So anyone moderating, please double check before you open your mouth. That's while it. We're on the, while we're on the topic, my name is pronounced Simeon. Simeon. Yes. There are a lot of people. <laughs> and I don't, Simeon Coker also, I, I really don't understand. But you know what, Simeon, something that I've thought about, people that mispronounce your name, I wonder if they've read the Bible. Like literally this has crossed my mind in the past because I feel like Simeon is a biblical name. Like, if you've ever been to an, what, an Old Testament name too. So this can cross the Torah and the Bible. You should know how to say Simeon, okay? Mm -hmm. I'll even give you Simeon. But if you say anything outside of that, your girl is confused. I will I will take a Simeon because it, it's a little razzle-dazzle. I appreciate it. Is. it. <laughs> well, Just on the side. Accent across, across the O. <laughs> but anything less would be uncivilized. Shout out to, uh, shout out to Old Spice for that one. It's also so it is some interesting shit too. It, I'm I'm gonna call this one completely ancient. Um, as where where culture kind was a little of a, a mixture of both, um, and, and unintendedly, I'm sure. Um, you know, let's talk about what's going on over at McCann. And so McCann uh uh worldwide uh made an, an amazing announcement last week that Shannon Washington, our homegirl, our big sis. Chief Creative uh, Officer uh, Extraordinaire um, is 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 going to bless another uh, another agency within the IPG umbrella with her greatness over at Gotham, which is a subsidiary, I believe, of McCann. Great, love it, love everything Shannon does. She deserves every bag that ever comes into contact with her. Um, but shortly thereafter, that was announced. Announced uh, a conversation started to bubble up in the trades, on the fish bowls, in the group chats, and baby, this past weekend on the LinkedIn's about um, a recent incident that occurred uh, within McCann um, with their, I guess, for now former chief creative officer Pierre Lipton, mm -hmm. um, who, you know let's start off being nice. Maybe had an oopsie daisy. Maybe didn't realize. I'm gonna I'm going to speculate that maybe Pierre didn't realize, because it is difficult sometimes the difference between messaging a person and messaging um 
and messaging the group, especially if you use Teams. Like Teams is good for getting people caught up. Okay, Teams and Slack. Yeah. Yeah, uh, um, yeah but you should. I feel like now with 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 all the oopsie daisies that have happened since uh, COVID and we've gone into this hybrid remote world, you should be on your P's and Q's when it comes to oopsie daisies because yeah. you know yeah. you're caught up us. <laughs> and we, tell you. Black people love a good side chat. <laughs> okay. Okay. Talk about I because because you know when you're in the group chat, you're speaking loudly. And when I offline you to a private, it's a whisper. We have actually done a lot of whispering since the pandemic. I mean before the pandemic, but since the pandemic. Um, and I have never got caught out there doing no mess like that. In fact, before I have anything crazy to say, I make sure that I've double checked, mm -hmm. triple checked that it's going to the right message. Cause <laughs> knock on wood, that is not the position I want to get caught up in. But for those of you that don't know the story, um, Pierre was caught literally red handed, um, during a DEI town hall or DEI workshop that was happening uh, virtually at McCann. Agency's Day for Meaning. Which There's Day for Meaning, yes. It's like a group uh, or an agency-wide brainstorm on how to fix social problems um, using our creativity for good, if you will, um, and proceed. Because <laughs> I, I think the context... <laughs> it's important. It's important. This is what we're talking about. It's important for, for his actual comment because this all ladders up to a, a better world, right? Like DEI, ESG, all of that good shit. And so that makes this inappropriate remark even more shitty. Yes. And so according to AdAge, during the virtual presentation, Lipton, then co-chief creative officer for McCann, New York, typed into the comments that he was so fucking bored, according to multiple people familiar with the incident. Now, I, hard stop there. <laughs> hard stop there, right? I'm going to give it to you. Yeah. He probably was fucking bored. Was fucking <laughs> like, like, let's be honest, right? He probably was fucking bored. Okay? He probably was not interested in the conversation or the things that were being presented during the conversation. He was not inspired, titillated, None of the above. He probably wasn't. And you still got to double check where you're sending your messages before you send them. Because yeah. there were a lot of people, I presume, I wasn't there. I don't work at McCann. McCann. Shout out to IPG and all of the people we love over there. I, I, I presume that there were a lot of people on that fucking call. The entire agency. That, that cared. Yeah. But that care, right? Like we can't speak for the entire agency, but I'm sure there were a lot of people that did care. I'm sure, you know, especially as we are shifting into a culture of, you know, Gen Z, let me say about Gen Z, baby, they do not play. Okay, they are here all day to super save. I was gonna say the wrong thing, but just super save everybody. <laughs> All the pros, okay? That's who that, the Gen Z wants to save all the pros. They actually do really want to use their creativity for good. Um, that is a selling point for a lot of audiences right now that your work is not just sustainable um, based off of the, you know, what you've been able to fake together for a Can Lion presentation, but mm -hmm. also 
that you are actually doing things that amplify the goodness in the world as, as we live in a really dark culture right now, figuratively speaking. Um, and so, yeah, my dude, that's mad inappropriate. Like get your fun get your phone. It's virtual. Like there was nobody next to you. You not at home. You couldn't tell somebody in your house you were bored. You couldn't text your friends, your mama, somebody else. You had to put that in the work chat. Yeah. I right? mean, in contextually as a creative, when your, your boss, your leader basically says, so fucking bored to your work that <laughs> i can just imagine the amount of people that bust out laughing when they saw that for so many reasons not necessarily because they agreed but because like this is your leader yes it is, is leader. it's one of those things where you have to laugh because it's so fucking outrageous that the person that is and we've, we've talked about leadership on this podcast umpteen times um, that the person who is supposed to lead you and encourage you to get better work or to do better work is broadcasting yep. to the entire agency that he's so fucking bored with the collective effort of everyone looking to solve or looking to ideate to solve world problems that are affecting all of us, right? And so it's it's outrageous. Um, did you get to what happened to him after? I didn't get to what happened to him after. So send me a your turn. I'm gonna tag you in, friend. What happened to him after? So after this was, uh, after this all went down uh, and the agency held a town hall with, uh, I believe, Amber Guilds, which is their C CEO, um, Mr. Lipton was demoted. Did they actually call it a demotion or did they? You're the one calling it a demotion. No one called, no one's calling it a demotion. He's been reassigned. Words mean things. It's a demotion. It's not though. You and I, you and I disagree. It's, I don't believe it is. I think it is a demotion, but also to your because point. a demotion would suggest that somehow this is a vertical. This is like a vertical hierarchy, and that's not how holding companies work. But we'll get to we'll get to everything that we've learned since the first episode shortly. So I'm, I'm gonna say give context. So the streets because I have sources. <laughs> The sources internally <laughs> told me that it's a demotion because he went from CCO to whatever their structure looks like, according to them, that there's a GCD above him. Now, that is normally not how it's supposed to work, that the ECD sits above the GCD, but that's what the streets told me. Um, if I'm wrong, you know what to do. Email us at xmixcompany at gmail.com. Um, and so, yes, he is now the global... ECD of McCann. Right. And because he's global is why I argue it's not, it's, it's a move to a different team, not necessarily a demotion. But also let's unpack that because one of the, I don't, I don't think we've talked about it in great detail on the podcast, but just around the types of contracts that people at that level get, whether they're golden handcuffs where, you know, you fire this dude, you still got to pay him money um, versus whatever else could be in his contract. And so maybe this is the most cost effective way for McCann to uh, handle this matter, which doesn't appeal to a lot of people because they're right now, as we speak, there is, um, shall we call it discourse happening on LinkedIn amongst the people's them <laughs> and i'll say i've i've seen things like this happen right i've seen people i've, I've seen people be moved around 
mm. to other roles because things aren't right internally and and then it is posted publicly in the press to be seen as like a, a different move like we've moved you in this exciting new space but the exciting new space is not at all exciting um on October 5th McCann announced his move from co-chief creative officer at McCann to global executive creative creative director at McCann World Group and so words do mean things and what that what that signals to me less than the conversation or topic of demotion is that he was moved off of the, the areas of business that he focused on before and so with that you know the the discourse that is happening right now is you know why did they do that and so um you know amber guild made her comment she sent a note to staff um acknowledging the behavior that happened back in september um, and, and, you know, Lipton issued an apology. Um, and I'm going to say this because I know that we shout out to Amber Guild, you know, we met her back in Cannes in 2019 and for better or worse of that, <laughs> of that experience of, are you laughing? Did you just, did you just remember that this happened? No, because you said for better or worse. And I'm like, oh. it, it was for better or for worse. And so this was during Can. You know, I was sitting next to um to Nicole Hannah Jones, and I had to be the one in in her pre in in Amber's presence and other people's presence while she was at the New York Times to call out the fact that we brought all of these you know all of these white men and women to the table, and everybody is here listening to you know them talk about um. 16, 19 before it came out and a few other New York Times endeavors. And none of those people had anything to say, not a question to ask, not a volunteer, voluntary com comment about what they'd like to do. Um, everybody is begging for, for, for global leaders and brand leaders to make change. And all of these global and brand leaders are sitting at the table, not saying shit. And, you know, when I, when I stood up to call that out, cause that is exactly what I did was I called it out. I, you know, I, I recognize that that might have been an uncomfortable moment for Amber that I did that during her event. And so while I don't apologize, I did it. I think there's something to be said that we sit in this space often where people make fuck ups, right? Fuck ups are mistakes. People fuck up all the time. I fuck up all the time. Um, and because we because we don't, actually put them in positions to understand the gravity of their fuck up, they do it again. And so I think that the idea, and this is before I give context, right? I think the idea that this man was just moved from one role, one executive role to another executive role, as opposed to being dismissed, is what people are pissed off at. And because there's no one internally saying that this, and, and they can't, right? We know how the business works now, they can't. No one in the business is saying, yeah, this was a really big fuck up. People are upset. People are people are suggesting, and I guess we'll get to that now, that this man be fired for his fuck up, that he is a racist because he was so bored during the, the day of meaning conversation. I don't know that I would call him a racist for that. I I don't know. Um, was he interested in what the fuck people had to say? Clearly no. Do I think that he should have lost, that he should lose his job? I also don't think he should lose his job. Do I think he's a fucking bonehead for doing that? Absolutely. And y'all should drag him for that. For that, he should be dragged. But I, I don't know that I 
outside of the fact that he wasn't excited. And let's be honest, Simeon, when's the last time you were excited during a DEI workshop? But it, it wasn't a workshop. It was. But I'm a, saying, cause you're not going to, even in brainstorms like these, are you always excited? I would be excited. I'm dead ass because the, the reason is the reason why I would be exciting is because they were basically having a brainstorm. It was a creative brainstorm. I mean, are you excited in every brainstorm that you're in and all of the ideas that come out? Yeah, because they're going to be my ideas. <laughs> you can probably get excited about your ideas. I'm, I'm that I would. Things like this excite me because, one, we do this podcast because we do believe that there is some sort of social change that can happen. And when you have opportunities like this, there are ideas that may rise to the top. Now, within this space, what I could see happening is that people who don't have these conversations on a regular basis are coming up with things that feel very juvenile or, or, or very elementary because they're not, this is not the thing that they think about on, on a regular basis. So I can see where that is boredom. And that's what I'm saying. Like whether it... I don't think it was the fact that he wasn't excited about the conversation, which needs to be questioned. It is the, it is the complete disregard for double checking yourself to make sure that your fucking message went to the right person. Right. Now, with that being said, LinkedIn has chimed in as of this weekend. And on LinkedIn, um, there is a, let me get this correct. I'm about to cough too. Um, the managing director of the Bosabi, and I hope I pronounced that correctly. And if I did not, please correct me. Uh, Bosabi Creative Club chimed in with a uh, long form soliloquy on LinkedIn, calling <laughs> out McCann World Group and McCann New York for not, not handling the situation appropriately. According to this person, they feel very strongly that it is performative for um, that it is performative for McCann New York to conceal their tone deaf and racist uh, these tone deaf and racist uh, uh, person. He, he's suggesting that that Pierre is a racist. I am not um, within their ranks on um, to conceal it by moving a black woman into the firing line um, of leadership. And see, and this is where, this is where shit gets real, right? Because I, what, what, what this person is, I, and I'm using this person because we've never met, so I'm not about to be calling people out unnecessarily. Um, they feel that McCann's um, posturing of Shannon Washington's move to Gotham, um, and pushing that forward was in a an attempt to bury the news about um about Pierre Lewis's move, demotion, reassignment, whatever you want to call it, um, within McCann uh, at the global level. Um and people took to the comments as uh, there are there are several reposts and several comments. Um and what's interesting in the comments are the familiar names and faces that we always see in conversations like this and and how you know how they feel about it um i'm gonna say this i agree with so many things and i disagree with a lot what i agree with is that yes it is of our industry to hide 
their fuckery to hide aspects of racism and if and 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 to hide and conceal and use other um headlines to kind of ca- cancel out the others and to promote a facade of of inclusion that is absolutely something that happens and I do think that that needs to be called out and I I think it's fair for this person to even make mention that it does seem like they were trying to conceal something here's what's fucked up about it as another black woman who has been put into spaces um into in, into into the face front lines of a firing squad to advocate for inclusion um it would behoove you if 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 I were you and you were me to actually acknowledge the challenge that that woman's going to face and not make it seem like she's not good at her job and to put her picture up there also Shannon Washington didn't have shit to do with what's going on at McCann. Like, let's be real. Shannon Washington is not even going to McCann. She's going to Gotham. But the the image that was used was her image to basically denote, look at what McCann is trying to do. And so rather than to call the spade the spade, what you've done is actually just you, you've, you've tried to pull out the queen, if you will, and talk about how you don't like the queen in this deck. That's fucking dumb. That's fucking dumb. You want to call out people for being racist or for being discriminatory or for being performative. Cool. If sh- if that's your point, using that lady's likeness and image to prove your point is what's fucked up. And there was a back and forth in the comments as well um, with Shannon. We see another several faces and, and the irony of the several faces in the comments is that those several faces um, have been at the center of very explicitly and exclusively calling out a black woman, unlike this post, which did it in a in a sub manner that was also inappropriate. And mm-hmm. so the internets have been moving. They've mm-hmm. been moving. Yeah. Um I feel like this this happens with the uh the cycles of people getting called out for doing something inappropriate and then people uh stepping into let's call it activist roles if you will um without having context and i think one of the big contexts here is like a historical context of making sure that when you are are um, trying to hold someone accountable that you're not hurting people who are like you yeah Uh, that has been a an unfortunate byproduct of why we can't get nowhere, <laughs> right? Because this is when you don't have the context and you're just reacting without strategy. And that's been one of my biggest um, issues in this space where if you work in this industry, you are supposed to be a strategist of some sort, of some kind. And when you do a post like this, I, I often wonder what they expect the reaction is going to be because the reaction never really, it never pans out the way that their their anger is is directed so unfortunate uh i doubt that his post is going to do anything <laughs> because it's it's not it's not structured for uh and this this is just a critique i don't think it's structured for impact and so at this point he just ends up looking angry um and and, and, and clearly he is 
and he has every right to be because the shit is really like fucked up like it's it, it actually is rigged it actually there actually is a lot of concealing and covering up and putting faces forward to distract you from x y and z and 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 that in itself is rather strategic and there are a lot of us him included that actually get paid off of this industry point blank period we make our living off of working with these organizations that while my I, I have seen very little, no, not going to say I never saw it, but I've seen very little um, purposefully uh, uh, dis discriminate, discriminatory things happen, but more so like not more people than not don't care about DEI beyond what DEI can do for their bonuses. Like that, that is a fact and that is unfortunate. And for that, all of us should be pissed off because a lot of us have put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into doing this work that most people just don't care about. They, they just don't. If it's not tied to a bonus, if it's not tied to, to a, a, you know, if it's not tied to anything that can enhance their pockets, they don't. Margins, yeah. revenue, whatever, they don't. I think what's really, what's, what's interesting though is the way that this person has gone about um, putting Shannon at the front. So like, you know, a source close to this situation, when I went ahead and I asked, you know, what were your thoughts um, that, that the post was unnecessary, that it was incorrect. Should Pierre have been fired? Yes. Is he racist? No. Is that simple? Fuck no. Um, does Shannon work at McCann, New York? Also no. Um, and therefore, because she has nothing to do with this, why even throw her at there? And so if you go into the comments, there's this conversation about whether or not this person has context. And the reality is, I don't work there. He don't work there. You don't know, work there. The people that said you need to know the context don't work there. All of us have nothing but hearsay tied to this conversation. And so therefore, what is the point of throwing somebody under the bus that didn't have shit to do with it? You don't either. And it doesn't matter how many SAT words you use and how many disgruntled ways, you know, any disgruntled words that have been pulled out to show that you're smart. It doesn't matter how many million dollar words you use. You used a black woman and her ascension as a way to, to A, completely make that, make it seem like it's irrelevant because somehow these white people are using it as a ploy to get over. And I mean, and that's, and that's what I mean okay. by the lack of strategy, right? It's the simple get to by how, like that's not here. It's just, it's, it's a rant. And basically he just started busting shots and anybody could get it. And unfortunately like Shen is now in, in the firing range because there is no strategy to this. I post. think that there is strategy. I think the strategy is to, to put themselves at the forefront of don't work with these people work with me instead. Like one of the things that this person said was I will never do business with them again. And I'm like, so are you saying that you're the alternative? And I, and I, and I feel like that's something there. Like, if you really are about it, come work with, you know, come to death row type of deal. Like, it'd be like that. Okay. I mean, I guess my brain did not go into that realm because it's generally, I think if you're trying to do diversity, you're trying to do it for the people. But also to your point, <laughs> this is a market. 
And if you're trying to get paid, you can also go to his death row and do diversity there if this is the type of strategy that you're looking for. For sure. And I think the last thing I'll say about this, because I because you said you made a comment earlier that I 100 percent agree with that words mean things. Right. It seems like this person is a very well, um, well-versed writer, copywriter, perhaps, or blogger, or somebody that likes to write a lot, right? Just a mic drop. Right? As a person who also enjoys writing and getting their point across, never as eloquently as these several LinkedIn posts I've seen. I don't write like that. I write how I speak and, you know, for better or for worse, it is what it is. People, people are always going to understand the shot I'm trying to bust when I bust that shot. Let me tell you what let me tell you what should happen if you actually are looking to articulate yourself in a very eloquent way. That you have to be clear. You have to be clear with the images that you put up. You have to be clear with the words that you use. And you also have to offer context as to why you're using those words. And for me, I think what is unfortunate about the post is that um, the lack of context and the lack of immediately clarification as to why to bring Shannon into it, and the lack of, of, of a move to use a different image that did not include her, spoke a lot louder than the words in the post. And there are a lot of people that like to use specific words, keywords, buzzwords, word words, to be like, well, I didn't say the thing, so you can't be mad at me. But we are Black. This is a conversation amongst Black folks. There are other people commenting, but this is specifically a conversation amongst Black folks across several diasporas. And the one thing about us is that we read nuance. We read between the lines. We don't just read the words. And so while the words on the post, this is what makes it not shit, while the words on the post are very specific about who it's speaking to, it's the word, it's the it's the spaces between the words that are that's really, really, really uh, trying to unveil a different issue that doesn't necessarily go here. And I think that that person knew better. I think they knew what they were doing. I think that um, his response to to Shannon's post and the other posts show where where they're coming from. And the reality is like. I get it. You're not here to make friends. You you here to 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 tell the truth, and you did tell the truth, but you also you also tried to fuck a lot of your own people over while telling your truth and 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 standing ten toes in it. And so it's unfortunate. This is what Pierre gets for not sending the right message to the right people. Pierre, <laughs> look at you. You started a whole mess. Pierre, <laughs> look at what you've done, Pierre, and now they're gonna look to Shannon to clean it up. Just kidding. Shannon going to Gotham. She don't got shit to do with that. Shout out to her. Shout out to Bierre. Shout out to the angry man on LinkedIn. We're angry with you. Just want you to be a little bit more clear on who you're angry with. Mm-hmm. And just watch where you're sending your messages, y'all. Just a little bit more strategic. Purposeful? Double check? Du- Double check? I don't know. Anyway. Anyway, 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 anyway. What we really wanted to talk about today as we shift gears is you know, we've been doing this podcast since 2016. And um, as we have elevated in our own careers, and as we've moved on to um, just see things, I was going to say differently, but I actually listening to the first episode, I don't think we see things differently. I think we have more context. 
And I think that context is worth discussion because because there's a lot of intricacies of the world of diversity and inclusion as it pertains to advertising that most people will never will never have access to. They will never have visibility to the how things move. Most of us get the the why. We can understand the where. We can understand a lot of other things, but the how things happen, most people don't have. And we just felt like we owed y'all a deeper conversation about it. That's fair. I mean, I, I think I'm also in agreement. I re-listened to the first episode today and I don't think we, I think we don't see things much differently, but we have a lot more context and I think we're more strategic in how we articulate ourselves um, than we were back then because we do have the context. And not only do we have the context, there are a lot of lived experiences that um, that we've had and also have used those strategies that we've talked about for better or for worse um, and have seen some outcomes. And so I think, yeah, we can definitely have a different conversation that I think arms more people with the the context that they need to navigate the system if they choose to stay here. Exactly. And I think it's the navigating of the system that's the key word in all of this. Um, because I think if we go back to what we were just talking about, this idea, I think there's an idea that like, when, what, like why can't you just get rid of the people? <laughs> fire the client, fire the the creative officer, fire the CEO, fire everybody, get rid of everybody. And I think that if that were feasible in the last three years, more of that would have happened. Yep. The feasibility, however, the context of the feasibility is what makes things difficult, mm -hmm. right? And so I feel like, like that's the gap that a lot of people don't have understanding. And like, I mean, it is what it is, right? It, it, when we started that first episode, and we're going to ask everybody to listen to our first episode, The Miseducation of Diversity, um, named after The Miseducation of Lauren Hill. Um, one of the, you know, the big question is like, what is diversity? What is inclusion? And why are we talking about it? And we spoke a lot about how, you know, we know diversity is the difference, but I made a comment in like, I guess like the first 20 minutes of the episode where I called out and I, and, and I stand firm in that today, even after everything I've seen, there is a reason why we as an industry do not get explicit when we talk about diversity and, and who we like, what kind of diversity we're looking for and inclusion and who specifically we want to include. And that literally is because it is more beneficial from a legal standpoint of a company and from a, what's the word? Like a clout, maybe clout isn't the word, but that's the only one in my head right now from a clout perspective or, or um, validation perspective that like the industry does not speak specifically about the areas of diversity that it's not good at or that it purposefully is not good at, right? Um, I'm gonna tell you right now over the last several years, what I've learned is 
folks are scared of lawsuits and not just scared of lawsuits. Like, I don't want to have to, you're, like, a lot of y'all's legal teams don't want to litigate. They don't want to do it. They don't. And so they're always going to, when we're talking about risk assessment, it's not that the risk assessment is about, oh, okay, well, we don't want to run the risk of just getting sued. We don't want to run the risk of getting sued and then getting to the press. Mm. Like That's a real thing. So when we talk about why they didn't just fire Pierre, we don't know what was in his contract. Because let me tell you, that contract and how you set yourself up at a job is muy importante. And also, that contract based off his LinkedIn is post Me Too. And I was I would put some money on it that lawyers have gotten a little bit savvier because of the people who got fired during Me Too to make sure that his shit was airtight. There's that. There is the this is this one was one that that will forever frustrate me. There is the uh the avoidance of risk of being um sued for reverse discrimination. It's almost a little bit as though like the reverse discrimination is more hurtful or 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 people are more scared of or they want to, to avoid it more than like discrimination as we know it. Mm-hmm. Um and at the end of the day, everybody in this business wants to pay their bills. They want their bonuses, self-included. They want their money on time, self-included. And a lot of the lack of change that we see has a lot to do with the lack of change and how people, how frequently people need to pay their bills. Wow. And I think when we initially started talking about DEI in the industry, what we would say is these people just don't want to change. They really just don't want to do it. Everybody has their reasons why they don't. Mm. And and some of those reasons, if anybody gave you con- gave us context, we might understand. But there are other areas of the context where it's like, as an industry, do I blame the industry as a whole anymore? No. And I don't blame the industry as a whole anymore because what I now feel, what I now feel to be true about diversity and inclusion and the challenges and why things work the way they do, there are a lot more powerful individuals mm. who control or or per, a perception of control, but control how things move and 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 what you know what gets a light shown upon it. Then it is a then it is just a full system of how things work. Like the only one of the few things that I would change in my perspective from when we started in 2016 to now is that there are a lot more people culpable in the lack of change than just the CEO. Mm. And when we started, I think a lot of our rhetoric was directed at CEOs of organizations, and they 100% have everything to do with a lot of what's going on. But I think one of the things that we've learned in this is they are not the only ones making decisions. They're also not even closest to a lot of the challenges. Mm-hmm. And that when we're talking about hiring, it's not just the chief people officer, the chief talent officer. It's also the 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 hiring person. It also is 
uh, you're, which I've learned there's a difference. Your recruiter versus your HR person, they are different. But it's also your talent recruiters. And like the biggest thing that I've seen is this idea that like I this person looks great on paper, but I am not going to pitch them to the hiring manager because I don't think the hiring manager will hire them. Mm-hmm. Subjective. And, and to your point, I think one of the parallels, it's it's kind of like government, right? So the president makes these policies, but the things that you're going to feel the most immediate, the things that you're going to feel the most are the things that your local councilman or your exactly. mayor going to do and so to your point it's like yes there's there is responsibility at the top but that responsibility the responsibility that most of us feel the trauma that most of us have felt because if you go back and listen to some some of those early episodes we were angry for a reason um the trauma that is usually felt is not from the c-suite it's from your immediate manager it's from your hr person it's from your director whoever the case may be and so we weren't wrong because the the culture that is set is usually set from the top right and it's enforced from the top and the values are enforced from the top but usually the things that you feel are usually on a more direct level of who's managing you and who's working right beside you and and that context of like enforcing, because we did talk a lot about that. Like CEOs should just say X, Y, and Z. CPOs should just say X, Y, and Z. What does it look like to enforce something? You have to have complete visibility over something to enforce it, right? And the 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 challenge is, you know, when we're talking about that, is once you get to that executive level of leadership, you're no longer just managing one person one-to-one, you're managing hundreds of people. And so you don't have that visibility. And and so, you know, as I continue to push forward (laughs) in my inclusion part of my career, it was holding the people that were closest to me accountable, you know, more so than looking at folks who don't even know the names of all of the people that work at the company. Like they don't know and they can, they can put out whatever policy they want and they can say whatever they want. But at the end of the day, they don't know what's going on. Your mid-level people do, your midline people do. And those are the people that are creating spaces that are uncomfortable. When people say they leave jobs because of their manager, they don't mean they left a job because Pierre Lipton made a stupid comment in the damn chat. That's not why they're leaving. They might note that, like this is this is you know a, um, a symptom of the fuckery that exists at the company. But the reality is that's not it. They're leaving because my manager wouldn't let me take PTO. My manager told me that it that you know I couldn't take bereavement. My manager told me that I was getting too much press. My manager started to tell me that you know, they felt like I was, whatever. That is why people leave. People leave a company because of their direct relationship with individuals, not because of the industry as a whole and not because of of a, a senior level executive that they've only seen and never met. In, in addition to what you have said, it's also, and I think when I talk about enforcing, right, because it could also be the person that's working to your left and to your right. And so if you call something out, that someone to your left or to your right is doing and the response to you calling out 
the mistreatment, the inequities and the double standards, if that response is, oh, well, you know, that's just Bob, right? Like Bob's just gonna Bob. If that is a response, I think that is what I mean about like the enforcing, right? Because a manager or a good manager, a 21st century manager, um, uh, as they would call it, would make sure that they are addressing it, that there's an equitable approach to how everyone is being treated. And so I think that there's a lot of that that we didn't necessarily have uh, the context for in those earlier episodes. Mm-hmm. But our hunches were right. <laughs> like hunches we were hundred percent right. Dead set uh, on our dead set right on our hunches because that is what we've come to experience, and I think we've grown in our careers to a place where we've not only been the recipients of it, but we've also been in a place or a position where we were now managers, and then we can go, oh, so this is the better way to handle a situation like that versus the shitty shitty things that the managers that we've had have done to us for sure it, it, it's accountability became the thing for me once I got completely into the the DEI space and what's funny is when we started the podcast I told you I would never do this um but I did I said that I said I would never be a DEI leader never say no and that's and I learned you never say never because you never know What's going to be able to buy you a home? <laughs> you never know what's going to be able to allow you to take that dream vacation, right? Um, and so account of it's it's there's so many people who completely ignore their level of accountability in the conversation of a right. Let me tell you when everybody loves talking about DEI. Everybody loves talking about DEI when it's going to mean that they are the talking head of the conversation. Everybody loves DEI when it means that their um, areas of identity uh, or their primary areas of identity, right? Because everybody doesn't identify with every aspect of themselves that 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 you perceive, like it's self-identification. Um, so if, if they're primary areas of identity are at the center of the conversation. Everybody loves talking about diversity and inclusion when it means that there's a happy hour involved um, and it means that they get to stop doing work for a second. Um, and they love it when it means that somebody is going to say, see, you're the one doing it right. Mm. Nobody likes talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion when it means you want to hold them to a higher quality of leadership than they are presenting, self-included, right? Who wants to be told you're not you're not perfect? The difference is um, what I've come to learn since, since stepping into DEI as a part of my career um, is that there really are some rewarding aspects to it. Like I didn't think that DEI could have power. And I have firsthand seen moments where I have been able to exert a power that I did not have access to before because of the roles I was in, right? That power um, has to be bestowed upon you. Somebody has to co-sign you. 
And when you are a co-signed leader of inclusion or inclusion leader, because you don't always have to have the title, when you are empowered to make change and power means the ability to make something happen or to stop something from happening, it is wonderful. Um, it was always my, it still is like my greatest honor to support somebody in getting a promotion. It is always my greatest honor to uncover, you know, bullshit that should not be happening and getting it to stop on someone's behalf. But it was also my biggest pet peeve when the when when the people who champion DEI so publicly, they make it a part of their identity as mm -hmm. a DEI leader or a leader of DEI because they can one both are not the same. Um, they make it a part of their identity, but yet turn around and allow moments of micro and macro aggressions to occur in the name of professionalism, mm -hmm. in the name of posturing, in the name of candidly upholding areas of patriarchy and white supremacy that really, really like live with are embedded within the culture of this country there are a lot of people that benefit from the industry and 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 power like structures of power functioning the way they do right now yeah like i said it's 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 tied to how we pay bills and like that for me was the, mo the most eye-opening space of this is like you know i know we did a lot of episodes or a couple, a couple episodes with shante bacon who I spoke to over the weekend, also shout out to Shantae, um, over at 135 Agency. And, you know, Shantae would always say it, like DEI is a business within a business. Mm -hmm. But it's even bigger than that. It's not just that it's a business within a business. It's a it's a way of life for people. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, there's a lot of, there are a lot of people who cannot align what they what they say, if anybody can even understand what they're saying out in the streets with their personal actions mm. and that level of of non-accountability to the work is what makes it very difficult for people to believe that change has happened right it's, it's funny as you were talking i was just i was watching this movie on netflix over the weekend called um uh fair play and <laughs> <laughs> the CEO of the company, uh, as I don't want to give give away the plot, but as this woman got caught with her hand in the cookie jar and was should have gotten spanked, his response was blame, accountability, it's all irrelevant, let it go. And, and his his angle or his motive was basically like, as long as you're spending gold, like you, you are you're allowed a seat at the table. The minute you stop spending gold, the minute you stop making the money is when you are disposable. And I think for some people who are in the DEI space, they look at spitting gold through the lens of, an, through an HR lens. And I think that was one of, and not that I think, but that was one of the things that we called out initially on the podcast was that HR has been put in place to protect the company and DEI was put in place to protect the people. And so if you have someone who's in a DEI position that is looking at it, looking at it through an HR lens, then 
they're not there to protect the people. Okay. They are there to make sure that the people stay there and the people are um, complacent, if you will. But ultimately, yep. they are there to make sure that the company is companying, if you will, uh, versus, you know, the idea of what you're talking about, which is the power that was bestowed on you by the CEO, because that was one of the things that we talked about earlier on is why are the ops having dinner with <laughs> with our representative? And that should always be the flag, the it, red flag. We uh, do not go hand in hand. They collaborate because they are supposed to collaborate, but they shouldn't be sitting at the same table because they both have different agendas. Um, and so I think in your experience from the outside looking in, seeing a lot of the amazing work that you were able to do, it was because you were adamant about not reporting <laughs> to uh, HR and making sure that you're reporting into uh, the CEO and that you were collaborating with the CFO, right? Because one of the things that we noticed earlier on was that, and and not that we just noticed it earlier on, but as we come out of the, the post-George Floyd economy and we saw a lot of people that were getting these CDO jobs was that if you're not working directly with um, leadership, as a chief diversity officer, if you're not working with the CEO, if you're not working with the CFO, if you're not working with the COO, then what are you actually doing, right? You don't actually have power. You're you're a talking head, if you will. And so I think one of the things that I noticed coming out of your situation was that because you were working directly with the CEO, that was the person that you were working directly with. You were able to accomplish things that were just theories for yeah. us earlier on um, in in the podcast versus other people who work direct or sitting underneath uh, HR and their power was limited, right? They were, they were there to throw events and to sponsor conferences uh, and to, you know, manage ERG groups versus what is actually needed systematically here within this organization in order for it to change for the better. And I think the other thing that you're kind of like harping on that we started talking talking about in the last couple of weeks is the identity politics that a lot of us have like relied upon. Because I was also listening to that first episode where, you know, Karina was talking about, you know, the woman at the agency who, who looked like her and, you know, thought that uh, she should be uh, a mentor. But I think a lot of us have, have believed that identity politics were going to be the thing yeah that we're going to be our strongest alliances. And one of the things that we've that we've learned, and when I say identity politics, I mean, because you're Black. The idea we, that I see some, because I see someone in leadership that looks like me, or I see somebody that looks like me, that that will guarantee my success. That is the biggest fallacy that it, I can say I have, I have learned coming out of the last six years, I guess, of, of, being a leader in inclusion and an inclusion leader. I, I would say I, I learned that earlier on in my career when I was at my first job in media, but it it really was solidified within advertising. Um, 
but what do we what do we, what I've learned is from the from those earlier episodes is you know when we talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion, those are values, right? Those are values that have behaviors that are attached to them. And what we've realized is that the strongest alliances are with the people who actually see those as values and have their behaviors aligned to them. And sometimes that behavior is 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 snitching, right? Like so, the person who's going to pull you to the side and be like, listen here's exactly what's going on. You're not crazy. They're really out to get you, right? Yeah. Um, and so I think there were a lot of, of things that have come out of our lived experiences over the last couple of years where now as we're looking at it, when we start thinking, when I start thinking about alliance, especially when it comes to DEI, it's no longer just a, you look like me, you're from where I'm from, where you're from where I'm from there's also this added layer of what do you actually believe? What do you and believe? If you believe it, what do you actually do when the shit goes down? Yep. Because when the shit goes down, you can say, well, to your point, you know, everybody wants to pay their bills. But for the most part, at a lot- what cost? Like at what cost are you willing to do that? And that is an integrity issue, right? And so, like, even for me. I've gone from I've gone from using this idea of authenticity as like the root of of what I'm leaning into. But there's actually better language. For me, it's integrity. It's not just the authenticity. It's the integrity. What are what are what are we really looking to improve upon? What are we really here to do this for? And there does have to be a line. And and the reality is just because we look the same does not mean that our integrity aligns mm. the things like like my integrity something that i am not willing to cross i'm not willing to cross hardworking people for the sake of posturing i'm not willing to throw people under the bus for the sake of making myself look bad i am not willing to say one thing to get people to believe me or to, 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 to value me and then turn around and do something different. My word is always bond. You know, when, when news about me leaving Dentsu or, or however we want to discuss it happened, the first several messages that I got on both LinkedIn and text messages about how you always, you were always who you said you were going to be. And that to me will always be the biggest compliment what i said will always be what i said what i stand for will always be what i stand for until i tell you that it's different and i'll make sure that i'm clear about that but you're never not going to know what you're getting from me if i say that if 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 me as a as an inclusion leader because as a leader of inclusion you can't impact this but as an inclusion leader if i say that we're going to pipeline people into something we are going to pipeline those people there's no if ands or buts about it Right. If I say that we are going to ensure that people are having an equitable experience, then everything in my power to do that will happen. The the misfortune is that regardless, uh, like people will sometimes believe like, oh, well, it's another black woman. So, of course, they're going to, you know, believe these things. No, they don't. There are a lot of people who don't believe that everybody deserves a shot. They that there are a lot of people that believe in pedigree. There are a lot of. They look like you. <laughs> you, you will 
will run up on them and be like, oh, we must be the same. And they will quickly let you know we are not. Yeah. I, you know, like, and, and I believe that you can't. And, and, you know, as we look at identity, like I can continue to say, there are white men who have been fantastic supporters of my, of my career or who have been fantastic supporters of women being elevated into into to roles of leadership. There've been so many women since, you know, uh the Me Too movement and advertising took off that are now leading at agencies and not just because we needed to get a woman in there just because, but because there were men who recognized, you know what? Let me step let me step aside, you know, let me get out of your way rather. You know, I think this industry we did we villainized white men a lot and completely started to look past the idea that there are some women who are not great leaders who lead with who who lead with more um mal intentions than the white men that we've professed are there are more you know, people of color. I mean, we can see it in the presidential race. The, the the two people of color that are running in the Republican race literally have the worst shit to say about people of color than the white people. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like it's this these ideas that were that have been put in place. So I think for me, coming out of you know the last six years, whatever solar return that is, coming out of the last six years, what I've learned is that your alliances have to you have to be able to find alliances outside of your identity because i, I want to spin a block of something that you said because you said that is like the greatest compliment but it's also a business imperative to your point of the alliances people like you in places like agencies are the reasons why some people stay right because they believe yeah. they have an advocate versus yeah. they're alone which a lot of us have felt that, especially here on on the podcast, where we're like, "Fuck this job, <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna go elsewhere because I think that I have, I don't have any more advocates here. I don't have me have any more alliances here, and the yep. chances of moving up are slim to none. And we're here to yes, to make great work, but also to to make money. And if we're not making money, and we're not progressing in our careers then it's time to leave and there is a business case for the lack of retention you're spending money to hire people you're spending money to continually developing people from scratch so there there is a business case for diversity and i think a lot of you know it comes up a lot of times in passing but in my opinion as you were relaying some of the messages that you were getting coming out of the the layoff was they're probably going to lose people now because those were the people that believed that they had an advocate because you were doing the work that you were doing. Yeah. And I, and I think putting people in place that are not just, are not just there to listen. Right. I think if we go, if we, if we spin the block again and we go back to, you know, conversations from, um, the key points that came out of the 600 and rising letter to the industry, you know, one of the things that I've been very, very l clear about to, you know, to, to Nathan, since we've spoken to you, to everybody is this idea of like fund the BRGs, fund the BRGs, fund the BRGs. If your whole DEI strategy is 
dependent on the BRGs, which means that your DEI strategy is dependent on the people who are feeling the biggest impact of negativity and oppression within your organization for them to do more work, you are not actually leading for inclusion. You're not. You're not. If your DEI strategy is not centered on changing or or filling in gaps of oversight, because it's not all purposeful, like people just run different. But mm-hmm. if it's not focused on filling in the gaps of systems that that create pathways for misunderstanding, prejudice, so on and so forth, you're not leading DEI. If your DEI strategy is to get legal to oversee all of your uh, all of the complaints of racism, prejudice, and bullying, and for them to decide if if something is viable or not, you are not leading DEI. You are perpetuating all of the problems that people are experiencing within your universe. And that's for everybody. And so I think what's been amazing that has come out of the George Floyd economy, because that's exactly what, what it was. We were literally in a pandemic where everybody was getting laid off. And then all of a sudden, people found money to hire more pe- more Black people. And now mysteriously, all of the Black people are, are gone, leaving, being pushed out, whatever the fuck. But one of the things that came out of the George Floyd economy was this new this new brand of of inclusion leadership in the industry. And so we see a lot more leaders, um, you know, shout out to Channing over at IPG, shout out to Ayana leading things over at um, FCB and so on and so forth. And Jason over at BBDO right now. We see a lot of inclusion leaders that don't traditionally come from the diversity and inclusion pipeline who bring a new brand of, of lead, leadership, who are focused on challenges that people are actually having, as opposed to focusing on the um, the facade of inclusion, which is, did we do well enough for Black History Month? Did you not enjoy the Black History Month workshop where we designed kente cloths? Like, nobody wants to fucking do that. Yeah. Nobody wants to fucking do that. And, and also to your point about the George Floyd economy, like we started this podcast uh, coming out on, on the tail end of actually we were out of the cycle, I, I would believe, because there was there was a down. <laughs> there was a lack of black people. Right. And so when I came into the industry, we were coming we were just coming out of a moment that was similar to what happened during the pandemic where there was a a black rush if you will to go and find black yeah. talent and then you turn around a couple of years later and then all of the black talent was gone right yeah that's fast where we forward, are now fast forward to the George Floyd economy and basically it was it was the same thing there was a black rush oh shit we need black people oh my god where do we find black people where do like where are they right and then now what we're seeing is I'm glad you're kind of going into the back end because a lot of the things that didn't happen after people were hired is the reason why they're gone now, right? There wasn't a strategy for inclusion as they were bringing people in. It was, we just need Black people. Yeah. And the Black people were facing the same cultures that were the reason why there were no Black people there, right? Yeah. And so put these people in a situation, put Black people, put Latinx people, actually pretty much any marginalized person, if you put them in a situation where there was a lack of them and you did not 
make deliberate efforts to change the culture, then you're going to turn around in a couple of months, in a couple of years, and then go, oh my God, they're just, they're just not the right fit. We don't, we don't know what to do with them, which is, which has been the narrative. That has some- been, and we have we've talked about that. We just don't know what to do with them. I'll give you an example. Um I heard about um a situation a while back in time. Um, where a woman was hired to a VP role. Um, she was a black woman on a very non-POC team. And within six weeks, this woman was let go. Mm-hmm. And when the woman asked, why am I being let go? She was told that it's because she did not present as an executive. Mind you, this woman had been a VP for several years prior at a different company. And when she went into detail to ask, well, why don't I give you executive? The petty things that were brought to this woman's attention about whether or not, you know, using a laptop in a meeting with a CMO was executive presence. it's within her within her first two weeks asking too many questions was not executive presence. Um, within those first two weeks of her working there, she was told that because the clients were not clear that she was in charge, she was not exerting executive presence. And all I could think was like, you know, accountability. This lady just got here. How long has how long has your team been on this shit? For you to be talking about the client don't know that she's the one that's supposed to be in charge. So did you tell the client? Because week two, I'm still onboarding. Week two, I'm still trying, I'm still trying to figure out for myself if I like y'all or if I need to quit, right? Like, and so like these are the things that happen to your point where the rush and the rush was let's get more people in here, get more people in here. There was there, there, there are not many people. There are some, but there are not many people that focus on their own getting their own house in order. And the reality is when folks say like, I don't know how to work with you or you're not a fit, you're not a fit to what I'm bringing to the table. And I don't want to change is literally all it is. I've seen feedback um, for someone that was, you know, for someone in our network, in our friend group that was put on a pit where she was told that, you know, in her first month of being at the organization that the person reporting into her was, she was relying on them too much for historical context. (laughs) Where is she gonna get the historical context from? And like these, you see what I'm saying? And so like these, this is the type of feedback that comes with bringing people that are different from you into your organization. And so it begs the question for like, you know, when we started talking about why are we having this conversation about this buzz, these buzzwords, diversity, equity, and inclusion, the reason that we're having it is because there are very few people that are focused, there are very few leaders, inclusion leaders and leaders of inclusion who focus on changing the system. And I will tell you, when you work with people who are willing to change, it changes. And so there are some people that have seen shifts that are working in on small, because I, I don't know that they are large teams, but on very small teams 
that do feel like they have a bigger, a, a stronger voice that they are being listened to, that they could stay wherever they're working a, a couple more years. But then there are others that are coming in and they're coming in with their popularity and all of these things they did on the side and they know everybody and they get picked for all the articles and they win all the awards and they be at all the events and they look good and they smell good and they do all of these things and everybody around them is hating because who do you think you are? Mm -hmm. Who do you think you are? We live in an industry that always wants to know who do you think you are? Yeah. We work with people who always want to know who you think you are instead of worrying about who they are. Yeah. Is your shit tight? Have you helped anybody get get beyond where they are today? Have you changed, made any substantial change? Have you deserved anything that you've won? Blame, accountability. It's all irrelevant. It's all irrelevant. Let it go. Move on. <laughs> Let it go and move on. And so that's the change that I see. Now, the other change that I see, which I love, is that there are more people vocal today than they were when we started and and for better and for worse i still love it i love all of the new voices i love the hotel voices i love the voices that think they know everything i love the voices i love them even when they get it wrong sometimes i like that there are more loud people now sure sure and and not for nothing i i will pat us on the back because the the shots that we took earlier on from let's call them the elders. The elders. The, <laughs> the shot there's the shots that we took earlier on from the elders were that we were too loud and that we should be more respectful and we should be more quiet. And so to your point, yes, this it is good that more people are vocal because our opinion isn't the only opinion that is a part of diversity is the diversity in perspective. And so it is a good thing that there are more vocal voices that are in the space making sure that the the insights that are given to make solutions are are best and so that when they actually land on the solution it is accounting for the different perspectives and the different types types of people that are within this industry yeah so i guess because i could beat this dead horse all day long and if you actually want to beat it with me, you can, and you have my number, you can text me. And if you don't have my number, you can LinkedIn me and we can go back and forth and I can say the things. I can say all the things that I'm not supposed to say in mixed company because I've signed documents. You also have an email. You can email there. Right. But what I, what I will say is diversity and inclusion is not a complete scam because there are absolutely people who do want to create and foster better work environments that foster better creativity. I, I a hundred percent will die on the hill that I am one of them mm. and that I am willing to sacrifice so much, including, including a livelihood for it. Okay. I'll say that, but there are a lot of scammers out there who are <laughs> really, who really are just here for the fuckery. They are really just here for the for for the financial benefits of it. And there are a lot of financial benefits to it. It is it is a multi-billion dollar business that supports another multi-billion dollar business. And the misfortune is that there's so many people who just want to go to work, do their work, log out at five and go home and kick it with their family and friends that end up being casualties 
in it, whether emotionally, whether it is from a mental health perspective, whether it is from a job security perspective, there are so many people that end up in the crosshairs of people who pretend to be grownups with accountability, but who have never, ever been held, been held accountable either by themselves or others for their actions. Mm. And, and for me, that's the bigger battle in the work. And so when people tell me that like, oh, you know, I just be there trying to work at an agency for a year, year and a half and move on, I don't blame you. When people tell me that they don't believe in inclusion and it's a scam, I don't blame you. When people tell me that, you know, everybody is lying to them and they know it and they're tired of people gaslighting them, I get it. Because all of these things are actually happening. Everything that we discussed in our first episode, everything that we discussed up until today, up through today, rather, 100% happens. But I'll 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 leave you all with this. And, and you know, a, a random woman I met outside of a bar one day said this to me. And it was just so profound, as most people are when they're several shots in at a bar. She told me to find your tribe, to go where you're wanted. And so I encourage people, when you're at an organization that is treating you well, not well, they pay me good and they don't really bother me, that you actually feel like you are supported, like you are empowered, like you are heard, like you are a part of the fabric and not just a shiny medallion for them to show off. Shout out to Kanye West, who's the first one to tell us about bringing, bringing stuff all to the front of the store because you got to put your Black people in front of the store so people know you're diverse. Um, when you're not just the person being asked to bring sweaters to the front of the store to show that you are the person of color or the person of a difference, um, take that into deep consideration in your career. Because you can, yes, you can change money, but behaviors are so hard to change. Values are so hard to change. And your the values that are going to impact you the most are not going to be at the level of your chief creative officer, Pierre, or your CEO, the actions that are going to impact you the most are the people that are interviewing you for you to work on their team. Do they respect your time? Do they give you time to, do they give you a chance to um, talk to you? Does your DEI person do more than speak on town halls? Do they actually reach out to you to find out how you're doing? Do they check in from you time to time? Um, are they saying, you know, are they are, are the people around you talking about inclusion as if there are boxes to check or bullet points in a in a in an annual report or are they actually speaking from the heart because those kinds of values I'll tell you where it's going to save you money in therapy cuz that therapy bill be high. Mm -hmm. Okay? And I I I want us I I challenge us all to look at it differently. We go back to the post from you know, a boy that was talking about McCann and Gotham is you, is the intention in the conversation in about the conversation. to lift everybody up or are you actually tearing more of your people down in, in, in the process of trying to tear down the system? You yeah. know, we just have to think more critically about what we're, what we're doing, what we're saying and how we are presenting ourselves in this conversation, because it's not what it seems everybody that looks like you is not going to be for you everybody that claims to be a dei leader will not lead inclusively 
And sometimes um, the loudest voices in the room can also sometimes be the most wrong voices in the room. So stay woke, as the Republicans would say. <laughs> they would say you do not need to stay woke. Uh, <laughs> um, I mean, I'm I'm 100% in alignment. I think you, you call it being intentional. I call it being more strategic. Um, and ultimately you know, bringing back the the get to buy how um, strategy, because I think a lot of, if you're keeping that in mind when you are going into these interviews, when you are speaking to your bosses, when you are speaking to people in leadership, then you have the right questions to, or that would guide you to ask the right questions that can start holding people accountable. I think that has been the biggest the biggest flex of this podcast in my opinion has been providing people with the language to go to their superiors and ask the right questions to get the right answers because there are places that exist there are very few where people are not racking up a therapy bill because they're being consistently gaslit um they're not given the opportunities that they need to be given they're not getting the money that they should be getting again because Ultimately, I'll say it, I think I've said it here and I'll say it again. If you are in this industry, advertising, tech, entertainment, and you cannot see a retirement plan down the line yeah. that will allow you to live the life that you have desired for yourself in a space where people are getting filthy fucking rich. Yeah. Because uh, really they are. Like I really like, so I know everybody's saying they don't have money right now. It's not that they don't have money it's that the money hasn't trickled down to you. Right. And so if, if that is what you are desiring, then you need to start asking a lot of those get to by how questions, because that is going to inform whether or not you need to stay there. Um, and it's also going, going to inform how you want to be an advocate or an activist within the spaces um, that you occupy or whether or not you don't want to be an activist or an advocate in the spaces that you occupy. And so to Kai's point, this isn't a scam. I think this is corporate America. It is a, yeah. a system that, quite frankly, was not designed to accommodate people who were Black, who were women, who were queer, who were um, not white. Uh, and so until the the dynamics, and actually, no, the dynamics will never change because it was built for capitalism. Right? So you're always going to need some sort of strategy that's in place um, that is going to send, be there to center your diversity, your, your differences, uh, inclusion and equitable solutions. And so, yeah, this is, it isn't a scam. I think if you go back and you listen to episode one and you start going through the archives, um, especially the episodes where we've had guests on and they've dropped gems, that you'll be able to start piecing together what your individual strategy should be because it, it has to be something that is comfortable for you because you're going to be, have to be the one who who uh, creates it and then implements it on a day-to-day -day basis so that at the end of your tenure, wherever you are, you can have a similar response to what you know Kai was talking about earlier is you are who you said you are. You you said you were going to do X. You did X. You said you were Y. You've been Y. Because that's going to be the thing that keeps money in your pockets, consistency in, in how you show up and how you uh, behave. Right. I think, you know, you said this business was not created for people who identify within being Black or of color, woman, 
queer, etc. And even if you do identify with all of those things, that is not what makes you a, an advocate. That mm. is not what makes you a change maker. Mm. What makes you a change maker is using the power that you have, even if it's just a little bit of power. We all have it. Help those who don't have any power sustain, sustain their jobs, sustain their livelihoods, sustain their mental health. If you can't bring peace to the people around you and you are wreaking havoc on people so much that, you know, you're actually creating a more hostile work environment than the non people of color, the non women of women, the non people who identify as queer. If, if, if you're making a more hostile environment than the perceived aggressors, you're just as bad. Which requires you to listen to people when they say that they're being wronged. Um, man, I will say this for my, for myself that having been a manager, the the idea of self interrogation has been a a crucial tool. So that when people say that they're experiencing something that you kind of got to believe them, right? Because that is their experience. And I think for so long, the response has been from, from leadership, which is maybe this isn't the place for you. Maybe you need and to- And listen to them when they say that because maybe it's not. Um, it, and, maybe it's not. And that's okay too. It, it is It is okay. And I think that's, you know, the benefit of of being in a society with, options and I believe that there are options even in the down cycle um is that yeah you can believe them and you can keep it moving and you can do like that's why fishbowl exists warn the people them <laughs> yeah I think we used to end the our episodes with solutions so I'm gonna I'm gonna give a couple solutions and Sim you give a couple before we um close out but my solutions because you know there's been a post going around is DEI dead um DEI is not dead. DEI is functioning the way it was supposed to function since its, its inception in the industry. Um, is advocacy and integrity dead? I think it hasn't been born in mass yet. And so to manage your integrity and advocacy, I encourage everybody, start that blog, start that podcast, send that tweet, Say say what's on, say it with your chest. Say what's on your mind, even even if it's going to contradict something. Say the things. Make the things out, like out loud. Say them out loud because you know Christy Henderson, who I believe is still at an, an anomaly right now, and who I've met in a past life when I was coming up uh, at Howard University. But she made a comment uh, a couple years back that has stayed with me, where she said, you know, you can't. You, you, you can't make change or you can't make policy about things that people that for about things that people don't know to be real. And, and it's silence that allows these spaces of inclusion to be overshadowed by negativity. And so the more we talk about the things that are happening to us and the things that have happened to us, and I know that there are disparagement clauses and everybody's everybody's severance packages, and I know that there are legal matters and people got bills to pay, but find your way to tell your story and say your thing and be honest and say it with integrity so that even if people say that that's not how it happened, as long as people know you're not a liar, 
as long as people know you not to be a liar, what you said is what you said. And the more stories we get, the more experiences people share, the more people talk about the way the business actually works versus the way we want it to work and how to make your way through it, the more of us become empowered because we're walking into these spaces, um, not ignorant of, 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 of politics because the politics runs this business. Um, and, and I think that's why we can both sit here comfortably and say, we don't see Pierre getting fired. <laughs> we don't see, because we know how this works. Mm -hmm. I don't know what was in his contract. I, I, Pierre sent, sent me the language. I want that in my contract. You know, <laughs> but like the business works the way the business works. But those of us who are trying to make to push forward and to make it to new heights, there's a way we get to work as well. And so we have to just say the things. Um, I'm going to echo that there there are like six things that I've been giving to um the people that I'm going to do one of my talks. Uh, the first one is talk your shit. Like once you've landed on your strategy, once you landed on your point of view and it is well-informed and it is pressure tested, uh, make sure that you are going around saying it. I think that has been the benefit for us of this podcast is that we've been consistent about talking our shit, even as an editorial podcast. <laughs> the, the second is that you need more people. Like this is not an industry where you can survive alone. Um, and we talked earlier about uh, making sure that you're building these value alliances I think that is essential if you are looking to stay in this business for a long period of time, that you have a, a tribe around you that you can that you can be that you can give reciprocal support to. I think that has been the benefit for for me, especially as somebody who's gone back and forth between full time and freelance. Um, having that tribe around me has made sure that, you know, what I'm saying I, I've been able to pay my mortgage um, and then. The third one is stay humble, stay courageous. I think that you do need to, I'm sorry. I said that's it. Yeah. Stay humble, stay courageous because this business does require an ego, but ultimately like if you're here to serve the people, which is what we do as marketers, it is about people. It's about our clients um, that it does require a, a level of humility that you need to be consistent with. Uh, the fourth is never stop doing so. Like the minute that you say that, so you want to do something, just do that shit. Like mm -hmm. this podcast is one of those things and shout out to you and shout out to Amber and, and Karina of just like, all right, we're going to do this and this is how we're going to do it. And clearly we haven't stopped doing it. And that could be a, a series of things. If you're an artist, don't wait for these people to give you a brief. <laughs> Please do not. Mm -hmm. Because <laughs> you could be waiting forever. And so if there is a project that you are looking to do, I think that you should just do it. While it may not be on the level of a client brief, it doesn't matter. The people who have gotten so many opportunities within this industry, there are a lot of people who've gotten opportunities within this industry because they went out and did it. You talked earlier about, I don't know if you talked about this earlier on the first episode, um, but you know the people who were making the club flyers back in the day, they were graphic designers. That was the first episode. Those are graphic designers. Those are the designers everybody says they can't find. They just did it. And so if there is something that you're looking to do, I would encourage you to just go out and do that shit. Do not wait for these people to, to give you a yes. The fifth is protect your neck. Um, there are a lot of people here who don't care about you. <laughs> a lot, a lot, especially if it means they have to choose between themselves and you. Sure, mm -hmm. sure. Um, and I know that a lot of you are 
have come in in the last two years or you've transitioned into, into this industry in the last two years or three years, um, make sure that you're protecting your neck. Um, oh my God, what's the guy from Brown and Browner? Um, Derek. Derek. Derek, Derek said have the, the red folder and the blue folder or right. green folder, whatever it is. Make sure that you are collecting your receipts and you are keeping your receipts. Don't wait for the last minute, like protect your neck. This is about work. And I know that we talk a lot about diversity, equity, and inclusion, but it is about the work. It is about the work. Or that you are keeping the receipts about your work so that if they ever do try to come for you, you can at least <laughs> you can buy some time with a red folder. They <laughs> will. What is, don't be exploited. I think that one of the biggest things about diversity, equity, and inclusion is that it does exploit labor. You mentioned the, the BRGs earlier. Do not be exploited make sure that you are doing the work that you are being paid for. And if you are doing something extra that it is for you and it is not for the benefit of, not just for the benefit of the company. Um, and I think that is where a lot of us have gotten tripped up over the years where, you know, the, the thing that has gotten us through the door is a, a person often white going, I, I identify with your passion. I see your passion, your passion and your profession don't always need to need to intersect. So make sure that at the end of the day that you are doing what you are doing for cash money. Not oh, cash. And oh that get the money. What did Charlemagne? What did Charlemagne say? Wendy Williams told him. Char Charlemagne, the guy said, Wendy Williams told him, "You can't be for the people and for the industry." And I think that 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 applies to advertising as well. If you find that your leaders who are telling you that they are you know, rooted in inclusion and they love inclusion and they champion for inclusion and you find that they have more empathy for the business than they do for the people that keep the business running, you need to run. And mm -hmm. I, th I think that that has everything to do with what you just said. So with that, it's another episode of Mixed Company Podcast. It has been wonderful catching up with you, my friend. Yes, ma'am. We do this. <laughs> A good older. In the first episode, you mentioned something about being 30s, and I laughed because me and Karina both said we're not in our 30s. And now look at us. A yeah. whole bunch of old people. The, the old people in the room. We are the old people in the room now. Oh, and yeah. so I hope what we said today was useful. Yes. Um, I hope you took what you wanted to take from it. Um, and I can't wait. <laughs> I can't wait to see how the rest of the year progresses. The, the 2023, 2023 is one of the pettiest years I have ever experienced. So I'm, I'm not even going to ask for 2024 because I just, I just want her to come in, sit down and don't, don't touch nothing. That's how I feel about 2024. It's going to be great. I, I, I firmly believe that 2024 will be a great year. Awesome. All right, friend. It's been great talking to you. It's been great having y'all listen to us. We'll be back another time when we feel like it. <laughs> you guys take care and keep listening to all our past episodes on Spotify, on iTunes, on all the things, especially on SoundCloud. Peace. Later, y'all.